This is Truth Encounter, and today we want to expose a streak of rebellion that runs deep in all of our souls. You don't have to look very far to find out that authority is out in our culture and individual freedom is in. But are we really free when we reject the leaders God has given to us? If you have an Old Testament handy, turn to the fifth book, Deuteronomy chapter 11, and let's pick the discussion up with our Bible study leader, Dave Wurtson, as he talks to us about a contemporary tendency to trash our leaders. How many of you kids and how many of you adults can remember when you went to school that as you began a new year and as the teacher began to interact with you, that sometimes you had something that started to happen deep in your soul and you just wanted to do something that would be disobedient to the teacher. Now, there's only a few that have ever wanted to get spit watched, for example, together, and when your teacher wasn't looking, you kind of throw them across the room. As you grow to greater heights of maturity, in, uh, in chemistry lab in high school, we used to hook the Bunsen burners up to, instead of the gas, we would hook them up to the water faucet, and they were the greatest squirt gun imaginable because it was such a fine spray that you, and it would be so powerful that you could train it at about 40 feet and zero in on a target and just hit somebody right in the eye and all through the period without your teacher ever knowing you could just drench somebody's face with this Bunsen burner and some other tricks that I won't tell you about, about how you can fill the drain, I won't say that. Can anybody identify with that dark lurking thing inside of you that makes you want to just throw off the yoke of a teacher? Like how much better would school be tomorrow if when you kids walked in there were no teachers, no principal, no authority figures at all? You could just run the school any way that you would want. How many of you kids would say amen to that starting school tomorrow, right? No, you know deep in your soul that there is that attitude that we don't want to have teachers. We don't want to have principals. We don't want to have authority figures over us. Let me change gears a little bit. Any of the husbands that you've gone to work, also some of you ladies that are in business, have you ever had feelings in your heart that you'd like to just get rid of your boss? Have any of you wives, this is one that will get really sticky, but have any of you wives ever resented when you read Ephesians 5 and it says, wives, be submissive, submit yourselves to your husband? Any wives ever have trouble with that verse? You see, what we're all wrestling with is deep in the human heart of every single one of us is a desire to throw off the leaders that God brings into our lives, whether they be teachers whether they be principals, whether they be bosses at work, whether they be political leaders, whether they be husbands, whatever authority, leadership figure, in fact, even the word authority, which has been abused so much, has, has taken on a kind of a sinister feel to it. In fact, even when I use that word authority, I feel in our culture I need to hedge on a little bit because there's been so much abuse of authority. But it's very important for us to learn that though there's abuse of leadership and though that when leadership is abused, the word of God is very strong in the fact that we need to obey God rather than men. We also need to be careful not to move from an exception 
and make it the general rule so that we deteriorate into anarchy. One of the real tragedies in our culture is a problem that ancient Israel had. And I want you to, want you to open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 11. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, the great prophet Moses, the George Washington of ancient Israel, is seeking to lay the foundations for this nation, and he's reminding them about their historical past. And in Deuteronomy chapter 11, he goes on to present a part of their history that you might not have remembered. Now, I'm sure that you remembered the deliverance from Egypt and all the plagues that God brought against the Israelites. I'm sure that you remember about how God delivered them through the Red Sea. And so that's one of those great miracles of the Old Testament that you remember well. But there's an incident that took place after the children of Israel had been provided for in the wilderness, had been taken through the Red Sea, had been given the commandments, had been given quail, had been given water, had been brought across the desert to Kenish Barnea. The people had gone up into the land with their spies. They sent the spies out, the 12 spies. They turned away from God's promises. But they not only turned away from God's promise, but an insidious evil began to infiltrate the people. I want you to look at how Moses reminds the people about this insidious evil and see if you can guess what it is. He says in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 5, It was not your children who saw what he did for you in the desert until you arrived at this place. And what Moses is saying to the adult generation is, you all actually did eat the manna from heaven. You drank the water from the rock. You were the ones that saw God bring the quail in and provide meat for this entire people. Your children that are now going to enter the land with you, they were too young. They were too little. They didn't get to experience those things for themselves, but you all did. You personally experienced the provision of God. And so you know that God can take care of you. You know that God is the way of blessing. But then he also reminds them about another very vivid experience that they had as a people. And he reminds them about two loathsome creatures and their history. Look at verse 6. It says, And what he did, that is what God did to Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, the Reubenite, and I'm sure that if I were to ask you before we read these verses, who can tell me Dathan? Have you ever heard of a Dathan? Have you ever heard of a Byram? Now there's some very sharp biblical scholar that would, oh yeah, scratch your head. I remember those guys. But to be honest with you, most of us have not really been having our devotions in Numbers chapter 16 this week. And so what Moses can just take for granted, he just can mention Dathan, Abiram, and to the people that he's speaking to, it's kind of like saying, remember Benedict Arnold? Do you remember Benedict Arnold? And as a group of Americans, you have the whole story. You remember that great symbol of traitor. Remember Alger Hiss. Some of you say, well, I don't know, you know boy, that, you know, that's even a little bit harder. But in our culture, we have great, notorious outlaws. Remember Bonnie and Clyde. Remember, you know, the Al Capone gang of Chicago. In the American history, we have just personalities that you can just throw out there, and the whole history comes back. 
that reminds us of what crime does, of what rebellion does. Well, to the ancient Israelites, Dathan and Abiram carried that kind of fire. So let's go back to Numbers chapter 16 and see if we can find out and discover why Moses would remind his people about Dathan and Abiram. Turn back to Numbers chapter 16. And the chapter begins like this. Korah, the son of Itzhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and certain Reubenites. Now, what have we learned about the Levites? What are the Levites supposed to do in the old economy of Israel? Do you remember? They were supposed to be ministers in the tabernacle. They were the assistants to the priests. So we have a group of guys that are related to these Levites that are supposed to be the servants of the Aaronic priesthood in taking care of the temple. Now look at verse 2. It says, And they rose up against Moses, and with them were 250 Israelites, well-known community leaders who had been appointed members of the council. They came as a group to oppose Moses and Aaron and said to them, You have gone too far. The whole community is set apart to the Lord. Every one of them, and the Lord is with them. Why then do you set yourselves up above the Lord's assembly? Now what's going on here? What we have is a group that have been kind of organized around Kohath. And Kohath was a Levi that wanted to take on more responsibility, more power in this group of Israelites. And so what he did is he enlisted these Reubenites, Dathan and Abiram. They got 250 of the prominent leaders. Remember that all of Israel was divided up into uh, groups of 10, groups of 50s, groups of 100, groups of 10,000. The whole several million people were very carefully organized. And evidently, Koath and Korah were able to get this group to join behind him. And the challenge is this. Moses, we think it's unfair that the sons of Aaron are the only ones that can offer sacrifices. We think it's unfair that only the sons of Aaron can go in into the temple and draw near to the Lord like that. After all, we're all holy people. Now, from what we've learned about what God has done in the New Testament, their request would be very well-founded under the new covenant that we're living under. Because what did we learn? When we studied about the Levites in the Old Testament and we learned about their priesthood, we also discussed our priesthood as New Testament believers. And so their request under the New Covenant would be a very good request. You have every right to say, Dave, you aren't the only priest in this group. You're not the only person that can, that can have the Holy Spirit moving through their life and can learn of him. You have every right to say that as New Testament believers. But in the Old Testament, that was not so. The Lord had a special role for the sons of Aaron. The high priest family had a special role of drawing near to the Lord to offer sacrifice. Dathan and Abiram have joined a movement that is insolent and prideful and disrespectful of Moses and Aaron. And Moses and Aaron were the inspired revealers of God's word for these Old Testament people. You see, in fact, Moses that's preaching to us, remember, it's the very Moses that gave us the book of Deuteronomy. 
It's the book that we're studying right now. And I want you to understand from one perspective that there's, there's no spiritual leader that would be alive in the church today that could demand the kind of obedience that Moses could demand because Moses was especially inspired and breathed through by the Holy Spirit to give us this book. And so as we think about Moses' authority, I don't want you to jump to my authority, for example, as a pastor-teacher, because my authority is different, and I'll talk to you about that in just a minute when we try to apply some of this. I don't want you to jump to your pastor, and I don't want you to think of your own church leaders, because the kind of authority that Moses had over the Old Testament people of God is an authority that only the Word of God, the book that I'm holding in my hands, and the revelation of this book can have in your soul today. Moses was designated as the inspired prophet of God. That inspiration declared that only Aaron and his sons could burn the holy sacrifices. Because the point of the Old Testament was the way hasn't been opened for everyone to come. And sins are still blocking us. And the whole thrust of the Old Covenant that we learned in the book of Hebrews when we studied that together was that the way isn't open yet into the Holy of Holies. And so these people, Dathan and Abiram and Korah, are treading on very serious ground. They are not just challenging a human leader. They are challenging God's leader the prophet Moses, the founder of their nation, and specifically they're challenging their king. They're challenging the theocratic ruler, the Lord God of all of Israel. Now what's going to happen? Well, Moses gets very upset about what's going on. It says in verse 4, when Moses heard this, he fell face downward. And he said to Korah and all of his followers, in the morning the Lord will show who belongs to him and who is holy, who is set apart. And he will have that person come near him. The man he chooses he will cause to come near him. You, Korah, and all your followers are to do this. Take your censers. These would be like, like brass pots that you could bring burning coals with and you could burn incense in them. They're to bring these brass pots with their incense ready to put fire to it. They're to bring them before the Lord. And the test will be this. The man the Lord chooses will be the one who is holy, who is set apart. For the priesthood, you Levites have gone too far. Then he says this to Korah. Now listen, you Levites, isn't it enough for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of Israel and brought you near himself to do the work of the Lord's tabernacle and to stand before the community and to minister to him? Now those are the three things that we learned were the legitimate role of these Levites. And they had a very special role in the old covenant community. They could draw nearer to the presence of God. They had a very holy task to be aids to the priests. The Lord had given them a marvelous role, a very special role. And Moses is reminding them, it's very important what God has given you to do. You say, well, Dave, why is Moses so upset? Because these people have stepped out of the role that God had for them they're stepping beyond the boundaries that the Lord had put around them. And that's a very dangerous thing to do. And so Moses invites them all to come to the test. Let's look and see how Dathan and Abiram and their followers responded to Moses' invitation to see who the Lord genuinely had chosen. Look at verse 12. 
Then Moses summoned Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and, and, but they said, we will not come. Isn't it enough that you have brought, up, brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the deserts? And now you want to lord it over us. Moreover, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey and given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you gouge out our eyes of these men? No, we will not come. As you read that passage, what kind of guys do you think that Dathan and Abiram were? I mean, what are they saying about Moses' leadership? What are they saying about Aaron's leadership? How many of you would like these kind of guys on your football team? How many of you would like these kind of guys in your family? I want you to see three things about what's going on here. Number one, Dathan and Abiram with Korah have rejected the ordained leader that God has given over them. And what I've driven home to you is that in our own case, what we all need to ask ourselves, am I respectful and obedient to the word of God? Because that's the voice of Moses for us. That's where we hear the word of God. Now, don't take that question lightly. I don't. Because I find I love the word of God that I really want to obey it until it crosses me. Until it tells me to do something that I really don't want to do. Until it tells me something that cuts across my pet sin. That's when the traitorous thought to want to just throw this off. Don't you ever just want to get away from the Bible? Come on, be honest. Don't you ever want to be able to just say, you know, just for a couple days, can I just forget about that holy book? That's the spirit of Dathan and Abiram. And that's a spirit I want you to be really careful about because it will destroy me and it will destroy you. Second of all, the, uh, the second sin that these, t- these guys are involved in is they want to jump out of their designated role. They want to play a part in God's family and a part of the people of God that God hasn't ordained for them to play. And Moses reminds them, God gave you a very special place. God gave you a very needed place. But you do not have the place of the high priest. And they coveted that. They wanted that. You know, I find that can be true in my own life. You see, in my own life, the Lord has given me spheres of influence. He gives me places where it's very important for me to exert my influence for me to take the leadership, for example, in my home. Because the Lord tells me that I need to love Mary and love my kids even the way Christ loves the church. And even in the in feminism and, and all the talk about equality, God's word, and I, I want to make it personal so I can get by maybe some of the fire emotionally that you might have in your soul. You see, the Lord says, David, you really need to be the leader of your home. It means you need to take responsibility. It means you can't always say to the kids, ask your mom. You can't always just let go. You can't just say, well, I'm providing food on the table, and I provide a roof over their head, and I'm working hard, so everything else can run under the authority of Mary. You see, I can't do that. Because that's to step outside the roles that the Lord has ordained. And it's very important for Mary's security. It's very important for my kids' security that they know that Daddy has his hand on the wheel. 
When you're out sailing in a sailboat and the wind is powerfully moving that sail, you can't just let go of the rudder. We were at catamaraning last, last weekend, and we had it, we, you know, we got a hull completely out of the water, and man, the sails bent all the way down. You can't just let go of that thing. You know, everything goes to chaos, or you can't do it wrongly. You see, there has to be a strong guiding hand. In fact, the guy that I was sailing with that uh, sails for A&M and has done some competition says, Dave, to be honest with you, uh, as we sail in a race, the, cat, the pilot just keeps his hand on that rudder. I do all the rest of the work. If I'm the one you know, that, that's his shipmate that's helping him, I pull all the sail and everything, but he keeps his hand on that rudder. The scripture is saying, daddies, you need to keep your hand on the rudder of your family. That's your role. Don't abandon it. Don't move away from that role. But he also says to the wives, he says, wives, I don't want you to have your hand on the rudder of that family. I don't want you to take control. I don't want you to, to feel like it all depends upon you. You have a very godly, important role. You need to train your kids, and, and you're going to have an incredible impact upon them. But if, if your husband's there, it's not your role to be the one that's guiding the whole family, that has control of everything. Now, it's really easy for us piously to talk about that, but that's a struggle in our family. How about yours? You see, that's just the way life is. It's hard to do that. And if I, I won't ask Mary to do it, but if I ask Mary to come up and give a personal testimony... She would not say, oh, it's just the easiest thing in the world. It's just so easy to submit to Dave's authority. He's such a marvelous leader, and he's so competent, and I just love to obey what he wants to do. When he tells me to lay off Jonathan and Joel because they're growing up to be big, strong men, and you need to give them some space, I just love to hear him say that. Right, honey? See, our family is just like yours. It's hard. My counseling ministry, jumping out of roles, it's one of the major things that's destroying families. People not playing the role that the Lord wants them to play. Same thing's true of a church family. The Lord has given roles, roles for elders and deacons. Elders and deacons aren't better than anyone else. Elders and deacons aren't, they're not especially glorified by the Lord. You know, I really believe when we get to heaven that, that some of the lowliest saints that never were elders and deacons at all, that never were pastors, never had any authority, power, positions, you might say, in the family of God. I genuinely believe that when we get to heaven that many of those last will be first because the Lord evaluates totally differently. But you know, the Lord has given, given roles. We finished the book of Hebrews when we were studying it. Respect your leaders. And I want to share with you, whether it's been at Word of Life camp working in the summer, whether it's been in our own individual family, whether it's been in our church family, there's a part of me that many times wants to jump out of those roles and become very angry with those who have the roles. And finally, when I start to do that, in other words, when I, when I start to turn away from obedience to the Word of God, when I start to play roles that the Lord doesn't want me to have, the third thing happens. I lose all thankfulness. And I start to become very negative. Like, you notice what they say? And you haven't given us a land of milk and honey. You haven't given us the blessing. You guys are a bunch of liars. And I become very, very negative. I've seen summer staffs in a course of a summer of ministry. 
I've seen the whole staff come unglued because of rebellion and griping and negativism in the ranks. And Moses was a George Washington of his nation. And if we deal with this nationally as a group of believers, this principle that I'm sharing today, designated leaders, proper roles, the need for obedience and an open attitude towards those roles, our nation is rapidly moving nationally towards anarchy because the spirit of cut and slander and uninvolvement and get those leaders has become a way of life for our culture. It can happen in our individual families. It can happen in our church family. And Moses was wise as a founder that he reminds the Israelites poised on the edge of their promised land. He said, remember Dathan and Abiram. 